Hi everybody and welcome to episode 4 of the Sunny 16 podcast uh, brought to you by me, Aid, and Graham and we have plenty to talk to you about this week in the topic of film photography. Graham, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's uh, good to be back again and yeah, it's been a bit of a frustrating week for me. I've not got as much shot as I wanted but uh, plenty to talk about nonetheless so yeah, keen to get on into it. I think we should start off with um, perhaps our undecided battle from last week that we were having. <laughs> battle, it makes us sound like rappers or something. Uh, <laughs> the, okay, so what you're referring to there, of course, is, is shooting the cosmic uh, cameras, the, the Lomo cosmic cameras. Uh, one point of learning, actually, from just a few minutes ago, is that we actually have slightly different cosmic cameras, uh, which we weren't aware of when we were talking about them last week, and might explain why you have so much hassle shooting yours, and, and I enjoy shooting mine. Although I have to say, I've now had the role of film back from my cosmic that I shot uh, last week. Uh, I shot the film of the month, the Agfa Vista 200 color negative film uh, through my cosmic. Uh, it was new to me, uh, bought off eBay, of course, where a lot of good cameras come from. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I took out a manual light meter with it and used that to help me figure out what the setting should be. Uh, but then there was a bit of guesswork, of course. The downside, which, you know, you might argue is a little bit significant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, all right. The downside is that the focus settings, uh, you know, as approximate as they are in a zone focus camera anyway, um, were even more approximate than usual. So I have a lot of urban landscapes. In fact, I posted one on the Sunny 16 podcast instagram account it was a shot of saint paul's cathedral in london and the millennium bridge uh, in some quite nice sunlight uh, the film of the month did really well uh, the cosmic not so much <laughs> it seems that when you set it for infinity focus which you would do for anything sort of you know across the other side of the river thames um, it seems to focus at about two to three meters out so i have some really blurry landscapes and just a little tiny bit of foreground which i'd included in on purpose but the foreground was supposed to be blurred but that was the bit that was sharp Ooh. so out of your 24 shots how many non-ruined by the cosmic shots did you have Oh, no, 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 no. I'm embracing it. I'm embracing it. I really like it. The whole role, more or less, came out in a really nice way. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the film is great, but the, the camera has to have, have some influence on the rendering of stuff, and the colours are really nice. And I really liked the two or three that were in focus. <laughs> Or three. Okay, so the best, the best one in terms of, you know, the one that you'd take to your camera club, they'd still slam it, but the one that you'd take to your camera club was a shot on the south bank of the River Thames in the sunshine, and there were two fellas there who were sat, and they'd brought typewriters, and they were selling poetry. And you went and you went and gave them a fiver or whatever, and on the spot they wrote you a poem with a typewriter, and you took away the piece of paper. And, and I was stood about four or five metres away from them with some nice bits of London landmarks in the background. Uh, and they actually came out in focus. Uh, I think I must have been... Fo yeah, so I think it's, it's just towards the infinity setting on my Cosmic that doesn't work very well. Uh, the rest of it uh, actually was nice. So, you know, any time you need a blurry background for something, give me a shout <laughs> and uh, I'll send you some photos. 
apart from the um, fact that your camera can't focus worth a damn, uh, how was there anything else about the pictures? With me, said the colours came out quite well. Um, everything else as should be. Well, yeah, actually, um, nothing really bad to to report on it. I yeah the the photos they all came out i didn't don't think i lost a single one oh there's the the obligatory first frame which is is um you know partly burned out and the rest of them have come out quite nicely apart from the focus the uh, i even took uh, a picture of a really large crane you know these trucks that you that, that are actually really large cranes for building stuff yeah. and i took one two three four five so i'm looking at them on my computer screen five shots of the of this truck with its big crane arm right up into the sky and i was going to do a sort of david hockney-esque collage to build the image together so what i've got to do is uh, get them i i might do that digitally or i might just print them and then and then arrange them or something like that but uh, yeah actually it, pretty pleased with the cosmic apart well, from the focusing thing <laughs> yeah, well i also I, I took what you said to heart last week i thought you know i'm not going to wait till i've got a technical kit or whatever color developing kit because that might take a while and i did drop mine off as well to get them developed and i've got mine back too and i'm actually just here flicking through them and um after slamming the camera for being unpleasant to use uh, <laughs> obviously it all comes down to the results and the results are unsurprising to me i would say this this is a camera made by lomo and when you think of lomography certain traits pop instantly to mind um light leaks for example well we've got a lot of those this camera is leaking like all over the show um it has some good heavy vignetting as well um definitely a couple of frames it messed up so i've got a couple of frames that have half wound on and half gone and then as with the last roll of the film there's just some shots where you look at it and go nope i don't know what's happened there i i do not understand <laughs> what the camera has done whether it's um the shutter being weird or just no idea i also definitely didn't always correct for the parallax error um, when framing up, because both the camera, your cosmic symbol and my cosmic 35, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, they just have simple viewfinders. You you look through them and you see what's on the other side. That's it. And because of that, you need to correct for parallax error. You need to allow for the fact that the viewfinder is a bit higher and to the left of the actual lens. And so when you're taking a picture of something that's relatively close, if you don't adjust for that, then your picture's going to be out of line. And I didn't always get the framing right on that. But that's not the camera's fault. That's my fault for being doofus. Um, but yeah, that, I would certainly say that if you're into the um, cliche aspect of what lomography is, you know, like I said, if you then this camera will give you that. Um, so I don't know. Did you see the pictures I put up on uh, Instagram? Um, yeah, that they are, they are Trey Lomo. Um, they're there, okay. They got there, all right. I tell you what, the one you took of the the sack race at the village fate is reasonably sharp. I mean, I'm only oh. looking at it in Instagram resolution, but it's reasonably sharp. And there's there's a girl in the background who's right right in the middle of her leap. It's very very effective uh, yeah. photograph. Yeah, I think I commented on it actually. Um, it's a sports camera you've got there. That's why you're having so much trouble so taking photos of landscapes. <laughs> 
I mean, in, in, to be fair to the um, Cosmic, which is something I find very hard to do, um, <laughs> the sharpness is actually pretty good. Yeah, when you when it plays ball and when you've got it, when your camera focuses, which is always a good feature to have, and when it doesn't do weird things with the shutter, um, the sharpness is really good. I, I actually impressively so compared to the rest of what the camera's doing, but. And I think if if the camera was pleasant to use, then the defects of it I could overlook quite easily. But I just look at these pictures and go, yeah, this what you get out of it isn't good enough to make up for the fact that it's just not pleasant to use. Yours and also your cosmic symbol looks way cooler than the cosmic. <laughs> the cosmic well, thank you very much. <laughs> quirky looking thing i wanted to ask you about because t- talking about this these um very lomo uh, archetypal lomo pictures with the heavy vignetting and the big light leaks what's your feeling on this because um i was having a conversation with somebody in my local camera shop a couple of weeks ago and discussing the fact that sometimes you see some stuff where people are going for the lomo the lomography style and the light leaks and the things that are wrong with it are actually all that they're focusing on and that, that there's not really any content or much content in the picture beyond that. It's almost like, well, we want to have, as long as there's light leaks and vignetting and weird blur and all that, it doesn't really matter whether the picture itself is, is interesting. At least that's the feeling I get sometimes. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it's an interesting question and it's also a question, of course, people have po- posed uh, throughout the life of services like Instagram, mm. the the that actually you know you can tart up your really boring photo by putting a filter on it or, or a light leak or something, and whether that's actually you know an analog accident as a result of using a crappy camera, or whether it's done on purpose in an app, I think it dilutes the value of photography. Um, it's easy to take a bad photo and then it's easy to make it look a little bit slight or slightly better by tarting it up in post-production or using a funny lomography camera to get silly light leak effects. Uh, I think it's, it, 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 it's not my thing, let's just say. It's a bit like HDR in digital photography. It, it's not really my thing. Uh, I prefer to focus on taking a good photograph and getting the composition right or the expression on the subject's face or or, or whatever it might be and in fact some of the pho- some of my favorite photographs i've taken uh are out of focus you know some you know, portraits of people but the expression on their face is the thing that the photograph is about it's not about <laughs> technical is, correctness and you and i have is there expression contempt for your lack of ability to focus? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes it's just contempt. But the, <laughs> like, but the... Yeah, you and I have had this discussion any number of times. Neither of us is particularly focused on technical uh, uh, accuracy of our photographs. We Both of us are trying to capture something. I don't have an, a name for it other than soul, really, which sounds a little bit over the top, I know. But I'd far rather have a fantastic photograph of somebody 
you know, a portrait of somebody that really says something about who they are, a particular look on their face or uh, and or the environment they're in. And that's far more important to me than whether or not the photograph's in focus or whether I followed the rule of thirds or you know, whether I've got them close to the edge of the frame they're looking out of instead of looking into negative space. You know, all of those so-called rules of composition, they're fantastic and all, uh, but for me, they're very much secondary to capturing something about somebody saying something about somebody or or about an environment and and i think that's for me is one of the things that makes portrait work work oh dear no i wouldn't describe my photography as work let's just say portraiture uh one of my favorite areas of photography because uh, everything else is secondary yeah yeah i mean i think that the thing for me is that i've really been enjoying actually these last few weeks being more active on Instagram and following a lot of really interesting film photographers on there, shooting in a wide variety of mediums and seeing people take images, uh, particularly with um, Polaroid cameras, with the impossible film, which is hugely unpredictable and but, but all sorts of expired film and all sorts of seeing people who are taking really interesting images that then the unpredictable and quirky and just unique look that you're going to get from any of these mediums is additive to what was already going to be a nice image. They enhance it, uh, but sometimes it feels like people don't think they need to have the baseline good image that they can just use expired film or use a filter on Instagram and that will compensate. Um, but seeing people who are doing incredible work, like I said, I've, there's a few artists that we follow on our Instagram feed who are doing incredible stuff with Polaroid pictures. They're just taking shots that then the the impossible projects completely random. Well, that's a bit harsh, but sometimes random nature, particularly with the expired film, really does add to and the, the weird washed out colours and the fact that half of it might not develop add to that. And um, and also, I, I think back to um, the guy who I first started watching on Google Plus when Google Plus was a thing that anybody cared about. We're, we're going back a few years. Very brief moment in time that was. <laughs> yeah, there is a, and he's on Flickr now. And this guy is uh, his name is Ivan Pavlukin, or something real close to that, and <laughs> or something not, Ivan. or something not real close to that. It's definitely Ivan. And I think he's over in Russia. You'll be unsurprised with the name of that. And his pictures are uh, incredibly atmospheric. I, he mucks, I mean, he's been an inspiration to me. He's probably, of, of all the people whose work I think of, his is always at the forefront of my mind. And years ago, I read about him modding his lenses. And his pictures are always very soft. And uh, the colors are always very moody and always very misty pictures. But that's not what they're about. The, the, the settings that he puts himself in to take these pictures are so well thought out. They, they had just, he creates such scenes that then the look that he's adding to by using these lenses just makes for an amazing whole. And his, his pictures are definitely worth seeking out. I said, we'll put a link on, in the show notes uh, for that. But um, yeah, I, I think it's amazing when you see people who are, using the quirks of 
whether it's expired film or whatever technique it may be that they're using to add that element of unpredictability to already great work but it's not enough just on its own you can't take a rubbish picture and hope that light leaks or randomness will make it good uh, I, think that's I, I agree i agree and it's it's an interesting segue actually because you know i've i've now finished the a roll of film of the month in the panoramic camera that you sent me that we talked about in the last episode i've also as you know had a, a recently had a week's holiday just a family holiday in scotland where i took the last of my neopan 400 uh and so i've i've had those photos back yet and now and for me, that that constitutes. I've taken quite a lot of photos recently. For me, uh, I've burned through I don't know four or five rolls of thirty-five mil uh, this weekend across you know Father's Day activities and 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 a family barbecue. I ended up burning through another three rolls of one twenty. So I'm I'm you know I'm at full speed ahead at the moment. And one of the things I've noticed, especially from the holiday snaps of Scotland, is they really are holiday snaps. Now, that's okay because it's a family holiday and it's the family bit that's important. And, you know, how many photographs of Edinburgh Castle can you really take uh, you know, before it starts to become a little bit meaningless? But I do notice that when I'm in those situations and I'm taking more photographs, the photographs I get almost sort of uh, become more ordinary. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, and it's a bit of a concern, really. I was like, "Yeah, I'm really working hard for you know, especially you know, this being episode four of the podcast. So for the last four weeks, I've been really trying to do what I normally do, but also do things for the podcast as well. And it's it, it's turning my my photography from in some ways uh, more from from a really thought provoking attempt to capture something meaningful into a bit of a numbers game. Now, I'm, I, you know, I'm probably exaggerating a lot here, but you know, uh, it, I'm also having great fun shooting more stuff. So, uh, uh, but the thing is, a lot of the stuff I'm shooting is is on a commute and it's time constrained and things like that. I don't actually get the art chance to sort of bimble about you know, working a scene from five different angles until I get something I'm happy with. Uh, it, it's oh look, there's something that usually it's some light that catches my eye. Oh, there's some nice light there. Bang, right, move on. That sort of thing, which is a different way of shooting. And I think it's an interesting point you bring up about the effects because you can get away with it with something like a cosmic. Uh, the the holiday snaps from Scotland shot with my extremely capable Nikon FE2 cameras, 1980s SLRs for those that don't know them. It, you can tell the good photos from the bad photos a lot more easy, the, easily when the camera is that capable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no room to hide in there. It's just a nice plane. Look, I took this picture well. If you don't like it, you messed up, not me. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. You know, so those cameras are back in the cupboard now, and I'm using the ones <laughs> that you sent me. <laughs> How did you get on with that panoramic? I really, <laughs> it, it's really enjoyable. I, you know, so I totally get your thing about the cosmic being a lot of hard work for what you get out of it, especially given that we've now identified you have a uh, a slightly more down market cosmic than I have. <laughs> let's say uh so i i re the the simplicity of it uh is is really interesting i'm looking forward to getting the film back i dropped it in at the lab today uh but 
with the, the fella had it, he he was up to his shoulders in mending the machine and he he looked at me and said I'm really sorry it's not going to be today I don't think and so I'll, I'll hopefully get those back tomorrow but it was nice uh, it's it's nice to to see a different aspect ratio when you put the camera to your eye I think that's something that you said last week actually mm. and it's nice not to have to worry about little trifles like focusing especially seeing as I did it so badly with the previous camera <laughs> Exactly. It's just not your strong point, is it? <laughs> Clearly not. Uh, but I do... I enjoyed it, yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. And it made me realise, it made me remember just how much I like things like my Holgers, which, yes, you have to do a little bit of zone focusing on, but but are much simpler to use than the Cosmics are. So, so I saw one of the pictures you posted up on the feed this week. I'm guessing that must have been out of one of your new Holgers there were yes there was one isn't there so that's the photograph of uh dinghies in the distance and and some gorse bushes in the foreground yes uh those are absolutely out of my or that is sorry i should say absolutely out of one of my hoggers i think actually that's that's not that's one from the archives recent archives but it's uh because i haven't got any film back from the new holgers yet but that is definitely a Holger shot. That's probably a Tri-X or, yeah, it'll probably be a Tri-X roll on a very sunny day out and about. So 400 ISO shooting at F11 probably for a very sunny day. And you can see on uh, on that image, actually, the vignettes are white rather than dark, mm. uh, which uh, I suspect is you sometimes get that as an artifact when you use flash with cameras like this as well because what you're seeing there is light bouncing around inside the lens rather than light just coming through the lens and hitting the film because the at least this is this is my pet theory about this anyway the one of the reasons you get such dark corners on these holger diana type cameras is that the image circle that the lens produces is not quite big enough to cover the whole of the negative that's being exposed. And so you, that, that's one of the things that drives the light fall off. But if you have a very, very bright day, on, and especially if you use flash, and my Diana camera is terrible for this, you end up with these brilliant white vignettes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, I think what's happening is that the light, lots and lots of light is coming in through the lens, but the image circle isn't big enough to, to do anything with it. And it ends up bouncing around the plastic at the inside of the lens barrel and then just hitting the the film in any random pattern, <laughs> which is a really interesting phenomenon, but it, it, it doesn't do much for the aesthetic, to be fair. <laughs> uh, well, this is the joy of these... Uh, plastic wonders that we like to use. Uh... Yeah, I'm I'm all up for that. I'm all up for that. Although I I do like my 35 millimeter cameras when I yeah my 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 really uh, accurate and impressive Nikon's, but I do love the toy cameras as well. In fact, actually, uh, I took two different types of camera to a family barbecue on Saturday. Actually, which is which is the next thing we'd like to talk about. I think. So on Saturday, uh, I was privileged enough to be invited to my nephew's first birthday, uh, a family barbecue 
with his uh, at his parents' place, well, his place as well, of course. And there's quite a lot of us gathered. And of course, being a known photographer in the family, the request came through. Oh, can I take some photographs, of, please, of Jonah? Jonah, my nephew, the birthday boy. So I said, yeah, absolutely, of course I can. And then, of course, there is the dilemma. Dilemma? No, a dilemma infers that there's two choices, actually. The, di the, the dilemma of about which of my many, many cameras should I take to take <laughs> these ever so important ph photographs of a little boy's first birthday that everybody's going to cherish. Um, I mean, yeah, my family are great, and there's no way they'd ever say anything bad about if, if the photos didn't come out or anything. They're, they're really nice people. Uh, so that's not an issue particularly it's not like they're customers who are paying for something or anything like that but there's a little bit of stress associated with it but then there's always a little bit of joy associated with it as well when you send the best two or three or four pictures from the afternoon to the relevant people and they come back and say wow those are amazing and this yeah oh fantastic thank you ever so much yeah so yeah the, the, there is a bit of stress associated with it but yeah not too much uh, especially if you manage to have a couple of drinks at the barbecue in question or whatever it might be <laughs> and yeah and then there's the then, then there's the nice bit afterwards so what camera did you take did you uh, i mean i suppose if, if i was in a situation where i'd been particularly asked i may have been tempted to pick up the digital what did you go with in the end? I didn't take a digital. I was brave. I was a brave little soldier and I thought, no, I can do this on film. I'm confident in my skills as a photographer. I've been practicing for years now. I must be able to take a snapshot of a kid, especially seeing as my kids have I've been through all, you know, all their lives. I've been taking photographs of them. So I ditched the digital and I took my Bronica. 645 and Bronica ETRSI and I took a Holger and I ended up shooting two rolls through the Bronica so that's 30 photos because the Bronica being a 645 you get 15 shots out of a roll of 120 and the Holger uh, of course being a 6x6 negative uh, you get 12 shots out of a roll of that so what does that mean 42 shots so I've had 42 shots with which to capture the joy of the occasion and some decent snaps of the kiddie in question. I have no idea what I got yet because I haven't had the films back from the lab. <laughs> that is the fun and excitement. Well, as long as you don't have the problem that I had last time, um, I, I went up to visit my cousin uh, before Christmas and she's got a, or they've got a, at the time of, six months old um child and uh, i was borrowing this was in the period when i was borrowing uh, dave off of the forums hasselblad and so i wanted to go okay this is perfect. i'm going to take a really nice portrait of you now it's one of these ridiculous things that i find with medium format particularly good the higher end medium format stuff that i'm shooting is that it takes me forever to get through a roll of film because i don't like to just snapshot with it you know oh no i've got to take important pictures with this because this is a hasselblad <laughs> Um, which is as dumb as a stick. <laughs> and because of that, I hardly got through any film whilst I had it. Um, but this one role that I did have in there, so I got and sat down and metered it with my little Siconic handheld meter, and okay, lovely, and took a couple of pictures. And, oh, those can be really nice to be able to send them up there. And this roll of film sat around for a couple of weeks until I got around to developing it. And this was, uh, I suppose, about five weeks ago now. Uh, the memory is still strong in my mind. So I, I had this roll of did, film. Did you, did you muck it up? Oh, boy. This is, 
I'm going to have to take a moment because it's upsetting me with nothing. <laughs> oh, no. So, okay. Um, so I had this roll of precious, precious film that I'd shot through this Hasselblad that I'd borrowed. And I also had a roll of film that I'd shot through one of my uh, point-and-shoot cameras. It was the first one I'd shot through, so it's my test roll. And they were both on HP5, which is great. So, okay, I can mix up some developer. I can just do them both because I do my black and white developing at home myself because it's a hell of a lot cheaper and it's good fun. So I got the developer, which is uh, so it was some HC110 Kodak developer. And I'd had it for a little while, but, you know, it's fine. This stuff lasts, right? Mixed up the developer and blah, blah, blah. Went through the whole thing. Had a sl- few issues whilst loading the film up uh okay i'm going to share this information because it's <laughs> useful brief sign i somebody gave me some advice loading 120 film onto a reel can be quite difficult i find it quite difficult because the film's quite wide so it's quite flexible and you're doing all this in the dark or in a dark bag and somebody suggested to me or recommended or oh, when i used to do that it was an old guy uh, and his advice was, I think, done despite me. He said, what I do is I <laughs> bend over the end of the roll, make a crease in it, so it make, gives it more rigidity. Okay, I'm going to give that a go. But what I did was I not only bent over, but I sort of ran my nail along it to really make that crease strong and t- tore the film, <laughs> tore the end of oh, the film. No. So then it, oh, it was a whole disaster getting it on. So subsequently i found that bending it over and just gently pressing it down to make a crease works quite well do not make a really fine crease because that film will just rip anyway this is just the backing paper no no this is the film itself this is when you unspool it uh and get the film off the paper and, and oh, unspool- okay so i'd had a bit of a trauma getting this roll of film onto a reel anyway and I got both rolls developed and souped, and they were both in their tanks. And I took them up, rinsed them out, went to hang them up to dry, pulled the Hasselblad roll of film out of the camera, held it up to the light, and it was completely and utterly clear, like cellophane, nothing. I was like, <laughs> oh, that's not good. That's not oh, good dear. at all. Did I do something wrong with the Hasselblad? Have I just completely messed up it's all is right this a, is this a guessing game is it multiple choice <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you you, you, you I, i've got another film to go first but you you can get your guesses in early to see if you can guess what happened okay so so for our listeners benefit genuinely i've never heard this story before okay well so but but a common a common mistake is to roll the film the wrong way when you stick it in the film back for the camera and therefore what you end up exposing is the backing paper and not the film oh yeah you can absolutely do stuff like that but there's a good way to find out whether that's what you've done uh because as i said i was lucky enough to develop two rolls of film at the same time so i had this roll of 35 millimeter that i shot through my yashika and so i pulled that out unspooled that guess what also completely clear oh no <laughs> so at this point a realization dawned that something had gone quite horribly wrong with the developing process. Uh, and what had happened was that the developer that I was using was completely burnt out, out of date, done, no developing power whatsoever. Oh, the fact no. that it had gone 
the fact that it had gone bright orange probably should have been <laughs> some, some indication to me that it was no longer good. But you think, well, I'm sure I could squeeze one more go out of it. And so because the developer was completely spent, it didn't fix any of the, didn't, you know, develop any of the silver on the film. So then when I poured in the fixer, it just washed away all the silver. Goodbye. Gone oh, no. forever. All of those images are deleted from existence in the most permanent way possible. And uh, those, it, it was mostly family pictures that I'd taken. I'd been out taking pictures of my cousin. I'd gone for a lovely walk with my partner and taken some nice pictures of her. And that's one of the great beauties of shooting film is that you can get a failure on a... Un- unrecoverable scale that's impossible to do with digital with digital there's almost always a oh if you get this app you can recover it or if you do this with digital when you mess up it's gone forever as i said that has been eradicated from history oh dear so so the answer to the question if family assignments are they a stress or are they a joy <laughs> <laughs> i'm sensing this particular assignment was more of a stress one i was just gutted i was uh, because <laughs> I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. They're gone. There's no point crying over spilt milk or destroyed negatives. But um, actually, most of the time when we have family events, the camera for me is a real benefit. Because (laughs) tragic though it is to say, I am not the most socially comfortable person, uh, even around my own family at times, when there's large groups of family together. I can find that a little bit stressful. So I love having the camera with me. Uh, particularly having the film cameras. And not that I'm there in a way of, oh, let's get pictures of everybody, but I'm just clicking away sort of surreptitiously in the background. And it's quite a nice distraction from me, from my family. I feel terrible. My mum listens to these. My, uh, my mum, <laughs> but she also knows me. I love my family. My family's fantastic. But yeah, I, I quite like having the camera. And it's been great over the last few years to be doing this, to have this as a hobby and to have been... At, birthday parties and what have you taking pictures because my grandparents are getting older now and I've got quite a lot of pictures from the last few years that I wouldn't have otherwise and the family wouldn't have otherwise that I've taken so yeah for me the camera is a real boon at family events but only because no one's everyone is expecting me to be there with the camera but no one is expecting me to take pictures for any purpose they're just like well of course Graham's going to be there and he's going to have his camera because that's just what he does uh, so yeah, I, I like it, and I've taken all sorts of weird and wonderful ca- cameras to these events with me, and it's fun playtime for me. So no, I, I I like having them there. They are an, a stress relief method for me at family gatherings. Do you know what? I I have some sympathy with that view, and and I do. I tell you what, I do also. Yeah, there was a number of photos I've taken over the over the last few years since I got properly interested in photography that have become important family photos and that is a uh, actually I, I get a, a, a big I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a big kick out of that I don't know maybe maybe could I say I'm proud of that I don't know what quite really Absolutely. you know that may, maybe that's what it is maybe I'm proud or and, and and pleased to have been the person that has, has recorded the important moment or the important person or or, or whatever it is um yeah that's it's uh it, it's a it's a it's a nice thing to be able to do to be the person that records the lives of your family um and uh and with the added bonus of i don't have to be in many of the photos so <laughs> that's 
sweet photo. I actually quite like, actually, I'm, I'm not like most photographers. I'm perfectly happy to be photographed. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm no Bruce Willis or anything like that. I'm no, I'm no model or anything like that. But uh, I don't, I'm not one of these photographers that shies away from having his photograph taken. Actually, it, it works quite nicely for me. I don't mind having my photograph taken at all. I'm it's, quite it's, happy. It's, it's weird because, I mean, I think I would say, and you probably agree that, I really am a sort of a, a real Brad Pitt type, and yet I don't like having my face taken. I mean, a, a Greek Adonis is the way most people would describe me. Um, yeah. oh, I don't know, mate. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you. I, I think you're choosing bad examples. I'm with you conceptually, <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, really, do you want to look like a Greek? Brad Pitt. Pitt. <laughs> I'm, I'm more armpit than Brad Pitt, I think. But, um, but yeah, no, it is definitely true. There is a real bonus being behind the camera rather than in front of it. Um, because the thing, funny thing is with family gatherings is that because fewer people have point and shoot cameras like they used to in the old days, I don't think as many people are taking pictures at family events. Maybe they're grabbing shots on their phones but those often never go anywhere other than the phones and i look back through i've got a box of old photos that my mum gave me uh at some point i'm going to get scanned in when i have the time to do that and there's loads of pictures over the years family events and just day-to-day life from the family being grabbed because people had whether it was their instamatics or their box brownies or whatever it may have been at the time their 110 cameras their polaroids people were taking pictures and getting the prints because that's what you did and that doesn't happen so much now and so it, it's important that somebody's capturing some of these because otherwise i think there's going to be generations where there just isn't much physical evidence of them being around unless you are able to get online and see it and we can't be guaranteed that that's going to be a reliable way of seeing what we're taking pictures now are are all of those images going to be easy to find in 20 years' time online? We just don't know yet. Hopefully. I mean, that's, we're shoving all of our stuff up on there, and hopefully it will. But there's a lot to be said for just having that physical image. Even if it's in a shoebox under the bed, you've got it. Well, come the zombie apocalypse, that's all we'll have left, isn't it? You know? True. And, you know, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin will blow us all up in the next few years, and so we'll all be living inside the shoebox along with the photographs i expect <laughs> something to keep us warm you, you can burn a photograph and make a fire you can't can't burn a memory card i don't know well that's yeah. an experiment to try out well, yeah the definitely that's the, yes this week's assignment <laughs> yeah, yeah. Burn anyway, a memory before, card. before we move on from this <laughs> i just want to say harking back to my tale of horror the one lesson i learned from that developer expires don't use really old developer. It's not worth it, kids. I went out and bought some fresh developer uh, and I will not let stuff sit around anymore like that because, yeah, you learn that lesson the hard way, but only once. Okay, having learned that lesson the once and shared it, uh, move on to our next topic, I think. A uh, bit of a weather-related one. So, 
I was out at the weekend and we were humming and hawing at this barbecue I was talking about earlier about whether it was going to rain or not. And thankfully, it didn't do anything more than very slightly drizzle. So my Bronny and my Holger were okay. And they were sat on a table under a gazebo anyway. But it is midsummer in the UK, and that means the weather is very changeable. <laughs> mm, or fact, just plain it, shit. Yeah. In fact, complete aside, so I found out today that yesterday wasn't midsummer, as it usually is on the 21st of June. Sorry, for the avoidance of doubt, we're recording on the 22nd of June here. Uh, the, uh, and actually, it was Monday the 20th of June that was midsummer, which was slightly odd. Yeah, I don't understand equinoxes and these things. Uh, somebody told me it was Monday. I went, sure, that's fine. I'll, it was I'll a, it's, because, it's because it's a leap year, I found out today. So <laughs> there's an extra day in February, which means midsummer is a day early. Go figure. Go. And yeah, and, and it was a, a day that started out, I think, pretty damp, but ended really bright. And so I think you've got something you want to talk about, which is, you know, given that you work outdoors a lot, there's a, a and are exposed to the vagaries of the, the weather more than most cameras to take out in the rain, I believe, is, is the topic you'd like to discuss. Yeah, it, it's tragic how at the forefront of my mind this is, because as, as you said, I work outside. Um, I sent you, a, I posted on our uh, Twitter feed today this picture I sent to you and uh, Chris as you've done such a good job of shoving at the podcast of one very dirty hand giving the thumbs up. Um, but yeah, I, I am outside and the weather is often terrible. And I'd like to be able to have a camera with me that I can take out in the rain. It's something I've always wanted to be able to do is take pictures in the rain. Uh, and this this last couple of weeks have been a nightmare for me taking photos, largely because I'm just working all the time, but also because the weather's not been playing ball. And... In my pursuit of having something I can take out and take pictures in the rain, I've actually got a few cameras now that are weatherproof. Um, the little Olympus Mu 2, which I have used a lot. I've talked about it before because it's a great camera. It's a really small pocket-sized camera. It's a, a small pocket-sized camera. And it's got an amazingly good lens in it. It's quick and it's... It's in my van now because that's just where it lives. It's there waiting for when I optimistically get a chance to grab some pictures. That's a cracking one. Uh, earlier in the year, I bought a uh, Yashica T3, which is another weatherproof camera. This one's a bit of a bigger lump. It's another point-and-shoot camera, um, but it's a bit of a bigger lump. It's got a good lens on it, and the Yashica T-series is quite well regarded i think the t4 in particular is something of a cult camera um and it's shot by what's that awful photographer's name uh terry richards this despicable uh, oh the fella that keeps getting hauled across the internet for taking pictures of models almost naked or or actually naked yeah that it gets accused of exploitation all the time yeah, he's a gross individual um, and loathsome in every way. Uh, but he does shoot with this camera, so uh, he's got something going for him. But yeah, so I picked up this uh, Yashica T3 from a secondhand camera salesman online. And when I bought it, it, it said in the description, there's a fault with this camera. The back doesn't close properly, but it wasn't that expensive. And I thought, that sounds well, kind of important well, <laughs> with a film camera. A little bit, but you know what? <laughs> Electrical tape solves a lot of problems. So when I've used it, I just taped the living daylights out of it. 
I taped over every compartment, everything. So I made it super waterproof. And I've taken that and used it, and it's been no problems at all. One of the nice things about this Yashica, or unusual things, is that for a small point-and-shoot camera, it has a waist-level finder. It has an ordinary right. viewfinder, but it has a waist-level finder as well. So for street photography, you can actually sort of wander along and be a bit discreet about taking pictures with it. Um, so that's a really good one. That's bizarre. Is that the, the T3 and the T4, or just the T3? or? or... I think it's just the T3, because the T3 is a, a bit of a big lump of a point-and-shoot. And the T4, I believe, I don't have one. They're, quite, again, quite expensive, as all the good quality point-and-shoots are. Uh, I think it got smaller and slimmer. Yeah, it's it's an interesting feature. I haven't made a great deal of use of it. One of the things I like about the Yashica T3 over the Olympus is that it has a bigger viewfinder. The Mew, or the Stylus Epic, as it's called in the States, is cracking, but that viewfinder is tiny. So if you're out just looking to quickly grab a shot and you bring it up to your eye, you've got to find quite a small hole to peek through. But boy, that's, that camera takes some great shots. But the other thing, and this is a really big advantage when you're shooting with old film cameras. I went back in January, I was contacted by somebody who I'd been out on a photo walk with. Actually, it was a photo walk we all went on together. One of the guys from our photo walk we went on in September, a very nice chap called Phil. Do you remember Phil? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So he got in touch to say that his camera group was coming up to Oxford and having a photo walk and would I like to join them? I thought, oh yeah, that'd be great. January is a quiet time of the year for me and I wanted to get into Oxford and take more pictures because I like getting into towns and urban areas to take shots because I never get the chance to. So the day was winding up to get there and it's all very exciting. And on the morning of when I was going to do this, I got a message from him saying, I'm not well, I'm not going to be going, but my group will still be there and they'll keep an eye out for you. And this is where they're meeting up. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not great with my own family. <laughs> the prospect of going and meeting up with a group of total strangers, like, no, oh, no, but I'm a big, brave boy. I, that's cool. I can do this. It's great. So I headed into town, into Oxford, my local town, and the weather was abysmal. So I, the cameras I'd taken with me, I took my Yashica, and I took just an old SLR. I took my Fujika ST605. It's not weatherproof at all, but it's a mechanical camera. I don't care if it gets wet. What's going to go wrong with it? I took it, the light meter doesn't work on it, so it's got no battery in there. I had my 50 millimeter uh, 1.4 Pentax lens on there. Uh, the Super Tech rather, and. I thought, well, I don't care if this gets wet. What? I'll just dry it off afterwards. Uh, so I wandered into town, walked up to where they were all meeting, and it's pouring down rain, and I saw this big group of people there with their all their equipment and stuff looking all ready to go. And I thought, mm, you know what? I think I'll just wander around on my own. <laughs> I've whipped out completely. <laughs> <under love. laughs> I don't know. It's a pretty daunting thing to have to do, to go and join a bunch of people you've never, ever met before. That's... And they all had their big DSLRs and all looked very professional, and, and I was... <laughs> there with this old film camera and this point and shoot i thought you know what i just i think i'd rather wander around on my own and so that's what i did i wandered around and with my uh both those cameras i was predominantly using the fujika and yeah it got, it got soaking wet but i had quite a lot of fun taking pictures and it's really enjoyable being out there taking shots in the rain because you everything looks different 
people look different. They're all huddled away from the rain, and obviously there's the, the reflections of everything, and, and it's great fun. But it is one of the really big advantages of being able to just have all the shooting capability of an SLR camera, and you don't have to worry about waterproofing it. Now, I probably wouldn't take something like my Olympus out there or my Canon EOS 30 because that would get ruined because there's all the electric gubbins in there. But an old film camera, which doesn't have any electric gubbins, as long as you dry it out thoroughly afterwards, perfect. And uh, yeah, I got some not great shots, but I got some interesting shots. I was lucky enough that whilst I was there, this random protest march tromped through town. The, the local Labour Party groups were all strolling through Mamoni about how they hate the Conservatives for various reasons. Um, so that was quite good. There was a jazz band and all sorts going on in there. So there was, I'd wandered around thinking, there's not much opportunity here. There's, everyone's in, there's, the weather's great, there's not much to shoot here. And then all of a sudden, there's a random jazz band, saxophone band blasting through town and a big brightly coloured uh, Labour Party march. So, so if you stick around, you never know what's going to happen. So, okay, so the, this is an interesting topic for me because I have a, a summer holiday booked, which is going to include being in the sea. And so I'm not thinking of it so much from a, a, a rainy weather point of view, but I am interested in understanding whether there are film cameras that are out there that are you know fantastic to take on holidays and are waterproof. And I've done a little bit of reading, but actually what I'd really love is for listeners to our podcast to make suggestions because i don't think i'm doing the best research that i can possibly do so so far at the moment there are there are several candidates uh, one is to just buy a single use fuji film point and shoot uh, which you can buy waterproof versions of which i'm mm. sure would be great but yeah uh, and uh, of course then it doesn't matter if it drops to the bottom of the sea <laughs> other, other than you lose your photos then there's a little demon on my other shoulder who's saying do you know what an Econos diving camera would be really cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's one I've been tracking on eBay that comes in like a bright orange uh, hard plastic case, almost like a Pelican case, but bright orange plastic. And inside it's got two bodies and three lenses and all of these extra add-on grips and frames that go around it that you can attach lights to for when you're really deep underwater. Uh, but those, those bad boys are not cheap, though, are they? Uh, no, they, they're going. You, you're going to be paying somewhere around the two to three hundred mark, uh, two to three hundred pound mark for for something that is, you know, got a couple of lenses and is usable and stuff like that. The particular one I've been I've been tracking, it's still at, it's still up there actually on eBay at the moment. Uh, as 180 pounds so actually it represents something of a bargain because you've got two bodies a number of lenses all in a in a hard case for for travel and, and a whole bunch of other paraphernalia for one of a different word uh that it is as as a, as a cosmic symbol or a cosmic 35 a viewfinder camera in the sense that there's it, there's no range finder there's a, you just have to zone focus it yeah. so yeah, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it's great for use underwater. It can go quite deep and it, it's got you know, sort of exaggeratedly large controls for it and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's like taking a cosmic symbol underwater, I think, in terms of actually the process you'd have to use for shooting yeah. it. I, so I, I split the difference somewhere. I, I have got a Minolta Weathermatic, 
which is a waterproof camera. And that is one that you could, I don't know what depth it'll go down to, but you certainly can take it underwater. It's um, big, yellow, it's really, really yellow, 35 millimeter point and shoot. And um, what, what I'd say about waterproof cameras and underwater cameras in particular is how often do you find yourself underwater? <laughs> because unless it's quite often, maybe don't make the big ticket expense. No, exactly. That's what I was thinking because, uh, it, it, and I'm not into, I mean, we're not going on a diving holiday, uh, but there's going to be some sailing. And so we'll be bobbing around in the sea rather than, uh, you know, d- diving underwater. I, it's conceivable there might be a little bit of snorkeling, I suppose. But, you know, it, yeah, it's not that, you know, I, I am not a qualified diver. It's not something I've ever done. So I'm not going to be looking to take this thing down to the bottom of the sea or anything like that. If it goes to the bottom of the sea, that's a one-way trip. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so, bye! Yeah, yeah, oh, it was nice knowing you, little camera. Yeah, bye. So I'm curious curious really right it's great to hear that you you've got one actually and it would be fantastic to hear from listeners to see if they have any favorites because there's a few weeks left before my holiday and there is time to do a little bit of camera shopping if that's the if that's a necessary or fun thing to do so you know it's uh it's something that would need to be I think cheap and cheerful, uh, something that's going to survive being in the sea rather than just sort of you know dropped in a puddle, and so it's going to get salty and it'll need to be washed off properly and stuff like that. But if anybody has any ideas, let us know. Uh, the Instagram is at Sunny Sixteen Podcast. The Twitter is at Sunny Sixteen Podcast. Get in touch uh, and let us know what you think. Yeah, I would be actually really interested because I've used the um, Minolta a couple of times, but on both occasions it's been going to the seaside and splashing around in the sea, but not underwater stuff. And it is a bit sketchy at taking pictures not underwater. And I would really like to know what the pictures it can take underwater are like. I I don't think they're going to be amazing but um, certainly above ground, although it is a point and shoot camera and you can use it above ground, quite above ground. <laughs> oh, you know, don't go <laughs> mining with it um, on dry land. But I, I found that the pictures, I got a couple of pictures out of it that I liked. So it can take good pictures on dry land, but it seems quite hit and miss and the focusing seems to be a bit uh, all over the place. So yeah, I, if somebody has used one of the uh, Minolta Weathermatics, either the, the 35mm, which is the one that I've got, or they also make a very snazzy, also bright yellow 110 Minolta Weathermatic. I think you ought to get that one. Oh. It's one the little candy bar Minolta Weathermatic. Uh, I would love to know and how people have got on with it and what the pictures are like. That, that Yeah, that, that does sound quite tempting, actually. <laughs> Yeah, it just sound very tempting indeed to try one of those out. Well, we'll see. Maybe that maybe that be a a good middle ground. I have also looked at uh, getting a a some sort of weatherproofed digital camera. Actually, uh, I know that's not the topic of this podcast, and it'd be way more fun to have a film camera. But then you've got a you've got all the things about flying and going through airports with film and stuff like that to to sort through. Fine, uh, unless you're using high-speed film that's fine you can always get one of those little carry bags to i've carry. done it before actually with 
uh, I think up to about 400 ISO film and been okay. And that's the sort of thing where you buy it, you fly out, you shoot it, you fly back, and then you develop it. So it's going through the, it's going through two flights worth of X-ray machines uh, and and not had any bother. So. Yeah, again, you know, sort of this this holiday in the summer actually is. You know, it would be a good opportunity to to test. You know, take a a, a sacrificial roll of Superior eight hundred or a sacrificial roll of Delta thirty two hundred or something like that. I think once you start getting to thirty two hundred, I think you are gonna. I don't think I'd want to take anything sixteen hundred or above through an X ray machine. I think at that point you probably are gonna start asking for trouble. But I think you. What I've heard is if you say to people. I've got these rolls of film. Please, can you not run those through the thing? They're usually pretty good about it. They understand it's a thing. But uh, what do I know? I've never tried. But, <laughs> when is it you're going away, dude? Oh well, well, hang on a minute. You might come round and burger my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, steal all my not, steal all my lovely cameras. <laughs> seen right through that. Seen right through that plan. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I was going to say if, if it's not right, I could always send you down the Minolta, and you could take that out and. Um, road test that it's got it's got, not only is it big bright and yellow it's got a big bright yellow bag that it goes in and this finder that you sort of it, it straps on over the camera and gives you a big finder above it a big rectangular finder because obviously looking through a viewfinder when you're underwater if you've got goggles on or something is not really gonna work so it's got this big crosshair viewfinder that sits on top and a flash it's great no, all right, cool. Well, yeah, no, we've got a few weeks to go yet. Yeah, it's not until the school holidays anyway, after the schools kick out that we're going. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we'd have time for that. Excellent. Well, this is great. Every time I do a podcast with you, you send me another camera. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to send you something to play with. So maybe one of my new Holgers. Okay, well, thank you for the tips on that one. And I look forward to hearing from listeners if they have any tips on underwater cameras as well, or even things just taken out uh, in the rain and, and uh, weatherproof cameras. Moving on, uh, I think uh, you wanted to do some shout-outs to you, people we've been talking to on the interwebs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, uh, there's sort of shout-outs slash shout-outs. <laughs> because some of these people are just plain costing me money, Aid. They are plain <laughs> costing me money. Um, on the side of people who are spending money because of us, I want to give a shout-out to Obi Cole from the forums, who that's... Uh, cd miller photography on instagram cd miller photos and he takes fantastic pictures film and digital lots of lovely portraits and he does wedding stuff and it's great and uh he posted a picture earlier in the week of him buying some of the ag for film to test it out so good man cole and also uh dave off of the forums i spoke to and i know that he's picked up some so that's fantastic these are people who are spending money because of us um <laughs> that's, of, that's power that's real power that is isn't it? <laughs> on the side of people who are costing me money <laughs> um, <laughs> there is uh, uh somebody who I'm fo- we're following on instagram uh who's no, i've got this written down in front of me because it's quite a long instagram uh, name uh, it's uh, at load film in subdued light which is a long name the guy's name is uh, <laughs> or, or eric as he's known to his friends um who's he's also fine on facebook Eric's Instagram feed is great. Um, he's been putting some pictures up lately of, I think it's Death Valley 
these shots have been taken at. And the colours, he used a lot of expired film as well. And just a fantastic shots, lots of really nice stuff. And he put some pictures up the other day of some negatives hanging up to dry on a film called Polypan F, which is a black and white film. And I've, I've heard about it before and seen some images and it tends to be quite well known for having quite a dreamy look. The highlights tend to get quite um, soft and it, it just quite a nice look to it. And I was asking him about it. Oh yeah, it's really great. I really like it. Said, but I think they've stopped making it now. So if you see any around, you probably ought to grab some. So I've had to buy a seven and a half <laughs> meter roll of this film now. Um, so thanks. I, I feel like I ought to invoice him for that. Um, but I'm looking forward to shooting it. The problem is I bought this. I have no bulk loader for it to go in because my bulk loader is full of something like 30 year old HP5 film. Not HP5 plus. This is pre that HP5 film. Which I'm very. That's something else I should post down to you. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you some of my uh, good and expired and super grainy HP5 film. What uh, the hell am I going to do with that? <laughs> it's fine. You just rate it at 100 and, and then send it back to me, and I'll develop it for you. Or probably, or you can send it away to be developed. It should be fine. Uh, it can get a bit foggy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the the other thing so i've been enjoying a story of pieces work on instagram and he's shooting with a, a lot of toy cameras and he's even after buying that junker debonair he's making me think well maybe i ought to look and get another one but i haven't done yet <laughs> all right i'll do you a deal if you'll get you've already sent me one camera in the process of making this podcast and you just said you'd probably lend me another one i'm going to send you a holger okay that yeah. sounds great more so, so, so there, there you go. I will stop you from spending money. What, a, what kind of a good friend am I? That, that is a very good thing to do. But unfortunately, you're kind of a bit too late on some score because <laughs> what a story of pieces does is he's taking these great images with these plastic cameras, but he's and and also uh, non-plastic cameras as well. But a lot of them are Holgers and Dianas and stuff like that. But he's also using filters a lot. And he put some images up a couple of weeks ago where he was using, I think it was Delta 3200 with a deep red filter. And he gave this picture an almost infrared look. And I was online looking to get some Ektar to roll, shoot through my pinhole cameras we talked about last week. And the, the shop that I happened to be on looking at also had some recently out-of-date Ilford SFX film going cheap. Uh, Ilford SFX is a faux infrared film. Um, it's not true infrared film. It's actually basically like HP 5 plus film, but they've adjusted it so that they've really pushed up the sensitivity to red line, which means that you can shoot this film with a red filter and get some quite striking effects. So they had this film on their cheap, uh, like half the normal price. Not well, I'm going to grab a couple of rolls of this. This could be fun. So I ordered this film, and then I jumped online on eBay, and I ordered a unbranded infrared filter. These infrared filters, they, I mean, they're, they're, they're like black. You can't see through them at all. Anyway, the infrared filter turned up. Cool. And then the film didn't turn up and continued to not turn up. 
And after a few days of this, thought, this is I've heard nothing. What's going on here? So I managed to log on to this shop site and had a look at my order that was placed. And there's a little note at the bottom of it saying, oh, yes, yeah, sorry, we haven't got the uh, infrared film, the, the, the Ilford SFX. Do you just want the other stuff anyway? Oh, I hate it when that happens. See, they hadn't even emailed me to tell me this. I had to go onto the website and log on to my order, and, and so my response was, no, give me my money back. <laughs> I have yet to get my money back. Um, if I haven't received it back by next week, I will make it perfectly clear which website this was from. It's not a one of the big, well-known ones, and I was perhaps foolish for using it. Anyway, so by this point, I was like, great, now I'm not getting this SFX film, but I've got this dumb IR filter anyway. <laughs> so at that point, I had to go on, had to go on Amazon and order a roll of um, Ilford SFX from there. So, the, the, so thanks to um, a story of pieces, I have now bought an infrared filter and some SFX because I want to get some of the cool looks he has. So they say he owes me for that as well. Um, so these people are costing me money left, right and centre. Mm, who'd have thought photography would cost money as a hobby? I know, I know. It's an exciting adventure. I've, uh, I haven't obviously used this filter yet in any capacity, but I did hold it in front of my digital camera and take a picture with the JPEG set to black and white. I thought, well, I have no idea what a digital camera is going to make of this. But it, but it came out looking mad IR. Um, the effect... That's interesting. I haven't tried that, actually. I yeah. have used the Ilford SFX in the past with a, oh. with a, a red filter on it. And it comes out, if you use it in bright sunlight, it comes out mildly IR-ish. But, but it, it doesn't do things like turn the trees white and the sky black or anything like that. Well, what filter was it you were using on it? A red one. <laughs> well, well, I mean, because there was... No, sorry, sorry, sorry. A red colour, a, a red coloured filter. Quite a dark one. I was probably pulling away two stops of light. But yeah. it, wasn't an in, it wasn't an infrared. It wasn't one of these proper infrared filters, which you actually can't see through because, of course, you can't see infrared. So, you know, this was one that was just a, a red coloured filter, but quite a deep, darker red. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the thing. This filter I've got is super, super deep, dark infrared. So I'm hoping... That I'm going to get more of that effect. It, it does. You do have to pick your targets a bit with the um, with the IR film because obviously it's, I was really fun. It's not all trees emit the same amount of infrared light, but yeah, that that does tend to be the hallmarks of the black and white infrared shots that it will darken blue skies down to almost black and make uh, certain particularly deciduous trees a far lighter in color to white. Uh, the advantage to the Ilford SFX over a true infrared film is that you can handle it like ordinary film. Whereas with infrared film, you have to be very careful with handling it and getting it processed and all of these things. Because if it's exposed to any light, uh, even the diodes inside the film processing machines can fog it up completely. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited to give it a go. Uh, but I just need to, I've actually put a roll of the Ektar uh, in my pinhole at the moment <laughs> and this is only the second roll of film I got three shots in I went oh yeah yeah I need to uh, roll this film on two numbers at a time not one I've realized I've shot <laughs> so I'm going to have some nice interesting layered double exposures going on with that one but once that film's done I'm going to stick the SFX in there so fun times ahead 
yeah, sounds good. I'm not sure I have anything to, to share in that sense. I don't have any events coming up this weekend. I don't have any particular new cameras or new films to shoot. So I think I'm going to focus on... Actually, you know, I have been wanting to focus a bit more on the Holgers. So as long as it's not pitch black outside, um, uh, Holger is not a camera you have to worry about weatherproofing. <laughs> so <laughs> nope, no, exactly. <laughs> I'm, if the I'm, if the light can get in, the the, the rain surely can. So. <laughs> I'm quite looking forward, uh, actually, because it, it's so rare that I get to go anywhere and do any shooting. But next Monday's the 29th, isn't it? I think. Anyway, next Monday night, in a village local to me, a village called Cassington in Oxfordshire, they have a humongous motorbike meet. This is a sight to behold thousands and thousands and thousands of motorbikes descend on this very small quite little village in Oxfordshire and uh, I didn't go last year but I've been the two years before that and taken pictures at it on both occasions and you may remember the story of me failing to roll a, a load of roll of film improperly and losing an entire roll of shots that was at this Cassington bike night um, and so I'm planning to go next Monday evening and I've got, I bought on eBay some rolls of expired uh, Fuji Neopan 1600, the now discontinued rolls of film. And that's been the rolls of film that I've shot at the last couple of events. So as this is probably the last time I'm going to have any of this film to shoot, it seems like that's the place to take it. So I'm really looking forward to getting over there and, and getting a few pictures. And I hope that as it has been in previous years, the weather's good because there's just so many opportunities to take picture of all sorts of people and bikes and all sorts of life going on. It's a, it's a really great event for photo opportunities. People with really big beards. I got a photograph. Last <laughs> year. I, it's not an amazing photograph, but I just like it because it, it's a photograph of a guy on a motorbike, an old bike with an open face helmet. And he's sort of parked on the side of the road, left smoking a pipe. And then whilst continuing to smoke the pipe, he fired up his bike and drove down the road on his motorbike. There's a guy riding a motorbike whilst smoking a pipe. It doesn't get any better than that. Um, that that's, that's photo magic right there, isn't it? <laughs> wonderful. So British, smoking a pipe and riding your old bike. So, yeah, I've got that coming up next Monday. So that would be a nice thing to do. Yeah, well, that sounds good. Yeah, well, I will look forward to seeing the results of that then. I do remember when you did that a couple of years back and uh, seeing them and there was some really good, yeah, because the crowds interact with the bikers and the bikers interact with the crowds as they ride by and things like that, don't they? So I, I think I have a half a memory of one shot you took where there was, there was, it was clearly captured that kind of interaction as the guy was riding by on his bike. So, yeah, well, well, I'll look forward to seeing those then. Uh, I expect I will be able to share over the next week or so the results of my second roll of the film of the month through the panoramic camera and the stuff from the family barbecue last weekend, actually, the uh, the Bronica rolls and, and the Holger roll. So I'll uh, be able to, to, to see, compare which, which medium format camera takes the best photos at a family barbecue. Is it a Holger or is it a Bronica, a ETRSI? <laughs> we will let people decide for themselves. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try and remember to stick up on the feed. Uh, a few of the pictures from some of these weatherproof cameras that we've been talking about as well. Well, 
a good topic to end on then a good image to leave people with a, a man on a motorbike with a long straggly beard smoking a pipe i think that's an image we can all take in our minds off into the sunset to enjoy the rest of our day after listening to episode four of the sunny 16 podcast it's graham i to be <laughs> well you know everybody has to have an aspiration so graham can you tell our good listeners where they can find us on the internet absolutely you can find us and all the images that we've been talking about on our instagram feed which is at sunny 16 podcast number 16 uh the same for twitter we've got sunny 16 podcast um on a facebook page so if you're a facebook user come find us there we are uh, sunny16podcast at gmail.com if you would like to get in touch with us directly, uh, which we would love. We, uh, I'm really enjoying getting into conversations with people, uh, primarily on Instagram at the moment, but we're trying to be more active now on Twitter as well because I know that a lot of people are there. But it's really great getting to talk to people about what they're doing, and I'm finding it utterly inspiring and only occasionally expensive. <laughs> okay so we also should be saying as we do each week thank you very much to chris at pixelatedphotographer.com for not only giving us extreme amounts of technical support with the podcast itself but also for hosting uh, in the pixelated photographer forums the longer form conversations around this podcast and other photo related subjects uh like to give a shout out to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, whose music threads its way through this podcast, uh, used, uh, provided by him under a Creative Commons license. Uh, the, the track we use is called Honeybee, and he can be found at Incompetech.com. That's about it, I yeah. think. And uh, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, we will see you or speak to you uh, next week uh, hopefully we'll be listening to you through the comments on all the various different websites as well uh, so I will sign off by saying goodbye bye everyone death of all the cosmics <laughs> and burning memory cards <laughs> make, a, make a pyre of memory cards and cosmics